So our scripture text this morning comes from Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 16. Paul writes, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are able, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. As I mentioned, we're in a sermon series on the Holy Spirit called uh, Life, um, Church and the Life of the Spirit. And for the first half of this series on the Holy Spirit, I've been very focused on the public life of the Holy Spirit um, rather than the personal life of the Holy Spirit. Most of us are most familiar with the personal life of the Holy Spirit. The way that the Spirit relates to us as individuals Um, works in us personally through indwelling and sealing and um, guiding, sanctifying. Um, But where we tend to have a very underdeveloped understanding of the Holy Spirit and our relationship to the Holy Spirit is in understanding the Spirit's public life. By public life, what I mean is that the Spirit exists and is operating and working um, all the time outside of our own personal and private experiencing of the Spirit. And the most direct way that the Spirit of God is revealed is in the person of Jesus Christ. But the Spirit also becomes public and manifest in the life and the mission of the church, but also in the, the Spirit's work as the Creator Spirit, as upholding all of created life. So in the past four sermons, I've been giving you, trying to develop some categories Um, to think about the Holy Spirit in. Uh, So we explored um, in the first week on Pentecost Sunday the history of the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit entering history at Pentecost in this utterly unique way as a response to this great historical event, which is the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus into heaven. We explored um, the social life of the Holy Spirit in the gathered community, and we looked at the ways in which the Spirit becomes known as we um, gather and manifest uh, in our own life as a community, in our communal life. We explore the way that the Spirit is a, is a creator spirit, the Lord and the giver of life, the one that upholds not just spiritual life, but biological life. 
that in this very moment, the Holy Spirit or the, the Creator Spirit is making it possible for all of us to simply be here alive, to continue living. We looked at the way that the Spirit um, last week leads us to become true worshipers. And this week, I want to I focus on another aspect of the Spirit's public life, which is what we call spiritual gifts. And for most of us, if you grew up in the church and you heard about spiritual gifts, um, they tend to be put in that category of the personal. Um, we, we approach them in very individual terms or in a kind of psychologized terms. I mean, I don't want a show of hands, although you can if you want. How many of you have ever taken spiritual gift tests? in your life, right? I certainly have. Um, it's almost like a personality test, right? And you kind of mark, and then you, at the end of it, you kind of say, you know, well, I have the gift of teaching or discernment or compassion, where it's, a, it's like a, a, you know, a personality test. I don't want to necessarily knock um, or belittle how important it is for, and I know that these spiritual gifts tests have often been really helpful for people just to realize that God has given them gifts. Um, so I don't want to knock that, that God uses these, these spiritual gift tests. But, but oftentimes, again, I think there is a, there's an unhelpful aspect of this approach to thinking about spiritual gifts that tends to make it too, too individualistic. Too, it's spiritual gifts then become about me, about my personality, about how my particular experience of the Holy Spirit. But for Paul, he only ever talks about gifts of the Spirit in, in, in the context of the public life of the church. Spiritual gifts always function in a public way in the body, not in a private way. They, they only come alive in the context of community. So gifts are always, when gifts are used, they're always a manifestation of the public life of the Holy Spirit in the church for the edification and the, the building up. They're not for the sake of personal self-expression or individual spiritual enrichment, but they are given for the common life of the whole church. And, and I, I'm, this sermon is, is kind of a sermon on both texts, the sacred reading and Ephesian texts, um, or the, 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 the 1 Corinthians 12, but there's this key line in that sacred reading. It's verse seven. Of, it says, Paul writes, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. That's a key, key line. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That word common good is the Greek word symphirion. Symphirion. What do you hear in that word? It's actually where we get our English word for symphony. Now, there were no symphonies during this time, but that image of a symphony is, is a really apt one to understand how Paul thinks about gifts. It's a very beautiful image. All individual gifts come together like an instrument of an orchestra to create a beautiful symphony. And the conductor of the symphony is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit harmonizes together. The Spirit sort of gives us our music and our notes and directs us. The whole life of the church is a symphony of the Holy Spirit in the world. And so imagine you're just an, you're, you, you're a musician, and maybe you're first chair violin, or maybe you're the guy who just does the little bell in the back, right? Um, no matter how great or how small, we all have an instrument, right? 
and the Holy Spirit brings us together in a symphony. Paul gets at this idea of a different image of drawing together in oneness and unity in the Ephesians text where he uses this image of head and body and Christ is the head and the church is the body and the image and it's a little bit of a strange image it's a it's a mystical image mysterious image right and the idea of the church is that the the direction of the church is is for the body to grow up into the head which is Jesus Christ and Christ is in heaven and we are on earth and our whole life is a kind of upward upward trajectory of love, of building up into Christ or as our head. Um, this is, I'll just read you a few verses from that. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly together, right, just like the instruments in a symphony, makes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so here we find ourselves again, just a major theme um, of the work of the Holy Spirit when it comes to, to giving of gifts, which is always the building up and the unifying of the church in love around the person of Jesus Christ. So that means that a mark of the right functioning of gifts of the Spirit in the body is the exercise of gifts that leads to deeper unity and upbuilding of the body rather than to the praise of, of those who exercise those gifts, right? And I think this is a, you know, this is a significant thing because in our culture, even in the church, we tend to relate to institutions as platforms to express ourselves, to advance our careers, to gain an audience, to have a voice. And this is true, <laughs> I mean, not just of I mean, this is true of pastors and ministry leaders as much as it is as people who are in various institutions where we, we relate to an institution as a platform for our, to express ourselves. But the church is a very different institution. It is meant, the church, to manifest the unity of the whole human race, of all tribes and nations and people together in worship around the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is the purpose from which, for which spiritual gifts are given. And, it, and I, I can't make this point strongly enough. It is impossible to underestimate how important it was for Paul to understand that the unity and the oneness of the church is the heart of why gifts are given. And in fact, when you look at every place that Paul talks about spiritual gifts, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, um, this text, um, unity of the body and the oneness of the body is always front and center. And it, you see that in, in, in um, the beginning of our text here as well. Uh, look at verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And if you want to talk about the political, um, the Holy Spirit's political goals in the world, we talk about the public life of the Spirit. The Spirit has a p political agenda, which is God's agenda, which is to bring oneness and unity to the human race. 
not at the expense of its diversity. That's the other thing you always see when Paul talks about gifts is there's always a diversity and varieties. And yet all the diversity comes together around the one God, right? And, and there's that, that phrase that you encounter if you read the book of Ephesians and you, it shows up here. And it's a really important one. That, that one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And the idea here is that God as God is, is God in all places and all relationships. And the reality, though, is that that is not true for human beings. We are fragmented and fractured and alienated and at war with one another, divided, separated, and redemption, very simply, is God reconciling all things again to himself. And all things can only ever be reconciled insofar as they are reconciled around him, around, in particular, the person of Jesus Christ. So this is, in many ways, and I've kind of got to the conclusion of the sermon, this is the whole point and purpose of spiritual gifts. This is part of God's mission in the world of bringing all things together. There is a separation between heaven and earth. At the end of time, heaven and earth, like a marriage, will come back together where there will not be separation. That is the future and the hit where redemption is going. That is the work to which the Spirit has devoted himself in history. So the question, though, is, so Paul starts with this in many ways, with this reality of oneness and then moves backwards. And so that's kind of what we're doing a little bit today. That is the goal and the mission of gifts, of spiritual gifts, of the public life of the Spirit in, in, in this church and in history. The question is how you get there. And I think, what, how, do you, um, how do we arrive at oneness out of diversity? How do we achieve unity? Again, this is a work of the spirit in the body. And to understand this, though, I think we need to understand the ways in which the, the discussion about gifts sits within a different kind of story than the one we're used to telling. It is the story of Ascension and Pentecost. And so I, I want to, I mean, when you think about spiritual gifts, at least for me, and I'll just speak from my own experience. I've never sort of like, I just have a Sunday school memory of spiritual gifts, right? You take the spiritual gifts test and, and you talk about it. And it, it always seemed kind of like, yeah, people have spiritual gifts, but um, it always seemed kind of quaint and bland. And so like, oh yeah, that's nice, spiritual gifts. But I think when you read this story or where you read this passage in the context of what Paul is doing, it really has a transformational aspect to it. It's so far removed from the way we think about it. And let me, let me try to help you understand the background of what's going on here, because this is actually a strange text for many people. What Paul is giving here is an account of gifts, of spiritual gifts. And he's, he's actually talking about office bearers in particular, but this applies just as much to gifts within the broad body. It's really his account of the Ascension and Pentecost. This is a little Pentecost text here, a little Ascension Pentecost text. Look, look at it with me. But grace, charisma, but grace was, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, right? So he's the gift giver. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, now the therefore it says is a reference to Psalm 68, which is this psalm of exaltation, of a vision of God as a, as a divine warrior. When he said, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. 
And here's Paul's parenthetical commentary on that psalm. Now, in saying he ascended, went into the heavens, what does it mean? But he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. So the idea is he, Jesus, the ascended one, first descended into the lower regions of the earth. And, and in there, of course, is all assumed for Paul, all the redemption that he accomplished. But then he, he's now exalted even higher, far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. What's going on here? And how does this all relate to gifts? Because it might seem like kind of like weird, like how does this, you know, kind of it's a parenthetical thought in the middle of Paul's reflection on gifts. But it's actually not. It's really, it's really key um, to understand what Paul is doing here. Gifts, friends, gifts, charismata, are the spoils of Christ's victory. They're the spoils of victory. They're the spoils of his triumph over the powers and the principalities from his ascension. Ascension, really, the meaning of ascension is his utter victory and triumph, his enthronement at the right hand of the Father over all the powers, all sin and death, the devil, all authorities. Again, like the divine warrior of Psalm 68, Christ has captured the spoils of his enemy. So this is, of course, in the ancient world and even today, you know, you defeat an enemy and you take all their goods. You take their oil, you take their gold, you take the things that they have. And that's the imagery here of triumphal procession. Christ has conquered the enemy and stolen all his treasures. Just like the Israelites when they left Egypt, God told them, ask your captors to give you gold and jewels and jewelry, and they do. They, right before they leave Egypt, the people ask their Egyptian masters for riches, and they give them to them. And so here the Israelites, the slaves, are leaving Egypt with the gold of Egypt. He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Who are the captives here? Friends, we are the captives. We were in bondage to the powers and principalities, but Christ liberated us and set us free. And now the Lord has victoriously claimed us for himself and given us back to the church as gifts. We are people whom Christ has captured for himself, for the sake of his church. And he takes the spoils, the spoils of our life, which used to serve Pharaoh, which used to enrich Pharaoh, and he now redeploys them, repurposes those gifts for the sake of the upbuilding of his church and the advancement of his kingdom. That's the narrative here. The narrative is not us taking spiritual gift tests and finding our sort of spiritual gift expression, discovering our inherent talent potential. The narrative is that prior to knowing Jesus, we were slaves, slaves to Pharaoh, slaves in Egypt, our lives, our gifts, our talents were devoted to a different empire, the empire of the self, which is another way of being enslaved to Pharaoh. But when Christ liberates us from bondage, he takes the spoils, the spoils of our prior way of life for himself. And all the spoils of our life, which once used to serve Egypt and Pharaoh, are now given to Christ and his kingdom. So friends, spiritual gift discovery, which is a real thing, I don't want to minimize that, 
is really a spiritual journey, a lifelong journey, where you begin to find yourself in a new kind of story, a story of liberation and salvation, a story in which you belong to a whole different kingdom. And so all that you are and all of your riches and spoils begin to then serve a different purpose. So Paul does not explicitly mention Pentecost here, but it's in the background. It's implied because the gifts of which he speaks are gifts from the Holy Spirit. And ascension was necessary for Pentecost to happen. Ascension had to come first, then Pentecost. But I think this brings us to um, a point where it's, I want to offer you a little bit more of a definition of what spiritual gifts are in the light of this text. What are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are new creation powers. They're new creation powers that, are, that, that is given to every single believer. Every single believer. From Christ through the Spirit. And their purpose is for the upbuilding of this Christ's church, but also for the manifestation of God's liberating love, of God's liberating grace in the world. A grace that liberates us from the powers, from the darkness, from the bondage, from the principalities. Spiritual gifts are new creation powers. And I, I think that language of power is really important. And I, this is one of the things I love about the Pentecostal charismatic traditions is, is they talk a lot about power. Um, because the Holy Spirit is more than just power to get things done, but the Holy Spirit, charismatic gifts, is about power. But again, it's a very different kind of power than the power that we tend to use or think about. It's not the power of coercion. It's not the power of the state. It's not political power in the sense of the way we think about politics. But it is power. It is power. It's serving power. It's suffering power. It's, it's liberating power. It's the power of forgiveness to release people from the oppression of sin. It is the power of the Holy Spirit to heal brokenness, to restore broken relationships. It is the power of the Spirit to free from addiction and bondage. It is the power to confront injustice through suffering love. It is a power for patience, for long-suffering, for gentleness, for humility, all marks of the Spirit, all ways in which God, in the way when Jesus was here, exercised power in the world and overcame the world, even as he was dying on a cross. We've been talking a lot about monuments in our culture, what are appropriate ones to have, and we think about a monument. And of course, monuments recall the past. What happened? History, right? The church, in a sense, is like a monument. But it's not a monument to the past. It is a monument to the future. It is a manifestation and a display of the way the world will someday be when Jesus comes again, when the Spirit is fully unleashed. And so the life of the church today as a monument, as a display, if you will, of that which is to come, that is why God gives spiritual gifts. That's why he gives these distinct powers to manifest a world where he is redeeming all things. So that's the broader context in which I want to encourage you to think about um, the storyline, if you will, about spiritual gifts. But I want to just conclude with some practical reflection on how do you think about spiritual gifts in your own life? How does the Holy Spirit interact with your own personality? How does the Holy, what role do our own natural abilities 
or temperaments play. The first thing I want to say is, is that gifts are more, spiritual gifts are more than a, um, a spiritualized version of your natural self. Spiritual gifts, they're complex and fluid and mysterious in terms of how they relate to a person's natural abilities or charismatic or, or, or temperament. Spiritual gifts are not out-of-the-box uh, kinds of abilities that all of a sudden just show up. <laughs> oh, I have it. But they are giftings. They're giftings that the Spirit endows us, which nevertheless need to be cultivated and that we need to give attention to. And the, way, the primary way you come to discern a spiritual gift in your, in your life is not necessarily through, again, a spiritual gift test can be a helpful diagnostic, but the, the real way that you learn about your spiritual giftedness is in the context of community. When you simply are, you be yourself in a way as God's working on you, and people recognize that you have certain gifts, and they say it. Say, so, you know, you, you really have a gift of compassion, or you, you seem to have a gift of discernment, or you have a gift of, of help. And, and people recognize this, and, 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 and it helps us, right? That's the primary way that you learn about your own giftedness. But there's three different ways, uh, categories, I want you to think about gifts as sort of closing up here. I'm actually not closing up. I still have maybe 10 more minutes, so sorry. Get you excited. But the, the first way you might think about gifts, the giving of gifts, is, is a kind of an elevation of our natural abilities, or maybe more, in, more natural temperaments, right? And, and this, is a, a gen, this is true, I think. Many times, gifts correspond to our natural temperament and abilities. Um, and this is where the kind of the personality test approach can be helpful. But a good example of this is the person of Peter, the apostle, right? who seemed to have just natural leadership abilities, right? I mean, um, he seemed to be a leader. He's, I mean, and sometimes just being a leader is the person who talks the most, not always. Um, but he's, he's always trying to make decisive action. He's always, he's always out in front, sometimes quite recklessly, right? But Peter, but Jesus recognizes this in Peter, and he, he sort of draws Peter out, right? He even says, you know, you're the rock. I'm going to build a church upon you, right? I'm going to make you a central part as an apostle, of the building of my church. You know, but, and Peter's like ready to lead all the disciples into battle if Jesus, you know, they come to try to arrest Jesus, right? At least before he realizes the true nature of things. But the, so the spirit in a sense elevates natural abilities for his service and kingdom. But obviously as we see in the story of Peter, these need to be sanctified. Jesus sanctifies them and the spirit sanctifies. So, so there is a sense in which what, is, what is, seems to be natural for us and our abilities often is a place where we exercise gifts, where the Spirit endows us supernaturally and, and really cultivates and uses our, our personalities to bless others, to bless his church. But the second point is, is you might call, um, so there's a an elevation of what is natural in us. And but the second one, and I think this is probably the one that we most experience, it is the development of something that is, that is latent in us. Oftentimes that's how gifts work. It's the development of something that's more latent. By latent, I mean it's kind of under the surface. You, you never really acted on it. Sometimes gifts don't correspond to an ability you think you have or that you can do, but, but is an ability that gets cultivated through use over time. And sometimes the Spirit endows us with giftings that we don't think we could, we could ever do or accomplish. But, but simply by, by sheer need in the body of Christ, we're compelled to serve outside of our comfort zone. 
Again, like this is the reality in life, in so much of life. I mean, it's not what I would prefer to do. That's not my thing. Like administration for me is not something I enjoy to do, but I've had to learn to do it to be a competent pastor. Some still have questions about my competencies. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with them all the time. Uh, but, but again, like it's, it's something that I just have to do. I can't not do it. I have to do it. And so the Spirit helps develop that in us. So often in life, I think more times than not, we're compelled to serve because of a real need. It's not that something we'd like to do. And I think the story of Moses is the best example of this. Now, Moses has a really unique pedigree. I mean, he has a great education. He knows he's seen the insides of the halls of power, but he's been in the desert for like 40 years, and God calls him and says, I want you to be my messenger before Pharaoh. And he's, and who knows what it was, but Moses says, no, like, I can't speak. We don't know if he had a speech impediment um, or that simply he had like extreme anxieties before big groups or the most powerful person in the world. Um, so he's like, the, one of his reasonings to try to get out is, no, I can't speak. And what God does is he gives him Aaron. He says, Aaron will, will be your mouthpiece. But as you read the story of Moses, what you realize is that less and less is Aaron there in the middle. And Moses is the one speaking. He is the one engaging, right? To the point where Moses becomes known as the teacher, Israel's teacher, the law, right? Again, God develops this in Moses, helps him overcome whatever impediments for the sake of his, his, his purpose. But, but the third way, the third, so there's a natural elevation of what is natural, there's a development of what is latent, but um, there's a third way that gifts exercise in our life, and it's, I'll just call it contradiction to our natures. Sometimes these are the more extraordinary uses of gifts, of the way the Spirit works. But it is, sometimes it's a, it's a contradiction to what you view as core to who you are as a person. Um, it doesn't come easily. It does not come naturally. In fact, you do not like exercising this gift. But God compels you, right? Um, a couple examples of this are, you think of this, the most extreme example, which is Balaam's donkey. God pours, the Holy Spirit is poured out on a donkey to prophesy against a prophet and to bring a word of judgment. I mean, you don't get more extreme than that, right? Another example would be Jonah. He's a prophet. I mean, he's got the skills. He knows what he needs to do. But God says, go to Nineveh and preach repentance. And he does not want to do it. And he runs, right? Eventually, once he gets tracked down, right, God puts him back on dry land. He goes and he preaches the worst sermon ever. And everybody repents. <laughs> and he's mad. He was trying to sabotage his own ministry and mission. And God uses it, right? The city repents, despite Jonah's best efforts. And I think in, in the, you know, this last piece in particular, there's, there's something that is very comforting, and there's also something that is very, um, that is a warning to us. When we think about how God uses our own giftedness or our seeming lack of it, right? And I think um, the warning is this, and, and this is just, just a high-level reflect. you know, just because God uses our ministry to bring about blessing and fruitfulness in his kingdom, it does not mean that he lets us off the hook for our irresponsibility or for our lack of personal integrity and in how we conduct ourselves, right? That's so important. And Jonah himself is judged. I mean, he's mad. He's sitting on a tree and God causes a worm to eat the tree, right? I mean, it's a very mild judgment. 
But, but just because there is giftedness, or sometimes great giftedness, does not let us off the hook. But the, but the good news is this. This is the comforting piece, and this is really what I want you to remember. God uses very, very flawed people to accomplish his work. Very flawed people. Um, very screwed up and inadequate messengers to do his work. And you can take comfort in that, right? <laughs> because again, we, we think it depends upon us. We, we think that if, if I had more skill or more eloquence or more willpower or you just add it, that somehow we'll be more successful. And I don't want to say that the Lord, he doesn't call us to develop those natural aspects, but those will never keep him from accomplishing his work. And, and again, that's just a great comfort. It's a great comfort for me as a pastor to know this, that I can come up and preach a pretty bad sermon, but the, the Spirit will still use a bad sermon and a, and a very imperfect messenger and a very imperfect pastor to, to get his, do his work. I want to just close with, you know, the idea of spiritual gifts really fits within a, a more comprehensive understanding of sanctification, of being made holy. This is part of the Spirit's making holy work. And there are two sides to sanctification in our life. The first side deals with cleansing, healing, forgiving. And the second side, though, the one that we're prone to forget, deals with cultivating and developing strengths and abilities. Right? There's two sides. Sometimes we talk about mortification, vivification, or making dead and making alive. But there, there is this side, I think, that the Spirit works that we underestimate is that it's not just the sin and the impurities and the things and that the Spirit is working on in our life. It's actually the strengths. It is the, the things that he's gifted us with. And he says, act on this. Grow into this. Be this person. I've given you so much. Don't just sit on this gift. Don't bury this talent. Use it. Use it. Grow. Develop. I think that's really important. The Lord wants to, the Spirit wants to bless and to cultivate us, our personalities, every part of us, and put us to work in his kingdom. And that's what spiritual gifts are. They're, 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 a large, they're part of this larger story of the public life of the Spirit and the way that the Spirit has drawn us out and he's making us a more public people, kingdom people. You know, even though we don't fit that description as a charismatic church, I, we are charismatic churches. Any Christian is a charismatic because every Christian has the Holy Spirit not just indwelling in them, but has poured out upon them for gifts and acts of service in God's kingdom. We're all charismatics. You know, we all have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. And here's the thing about the Spirit. The Spirit gives us gifts in order to draw us, different gifts to draw us together. Because we need one another. We need one another. We all have gifts. We don't all, not one person has all the gifts. We all need one another. And that's the idea is that the God gives these various gifts and he distributes them such that we actually need one another to get along. We need one another to survive. We need one another to grow. And the thing about the Holy Spirit in your life, and this is just closed with the, the public aspect of the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit wants to make you a more public person. Now, the introverts in here are just thinking, no, no. I say no. I don't mean by public person an extroverted person. But, but what I mean by that is that the Spirit wants to draw you into the body. He wants to make your life more public, even as an introvert. He wants to make you, he wants to pull you off the sideline 
And he wants to put you in the game. He wants to make you essential to the functioning and life of the community. Let's go back to that imagery of, of the symphony, right? The spirit wants to put you in the orchestra. And maybe you just, you're just the person that rings the little bell. <laughs> the very, very basic. I mean, I'm sure that bell is harder. I mean, I probably couldn't ring the bell. Um, but no matter how small the gift, the spirit wants to put you in the symphony. Amen. Father, we give you thanks for the ways that you, um, you endow all of us with your Holy Spirit, the way that you, we are, we are the spoils of Christ's victory. We are, um, we are people he has taken out of bondage and slavery and uh, brought into the promised land. And you take all those things in our life that sometimes we don't think about as valuable or serving you, and you want us to serve you. And so I pray that we would we'd see ourselves in that story and that we would have a, a real deep sense that your spirit is always working in us and through us and upon us um, to, to bring love, upbuilding love and witness, upbuilding love in your church and witness to the greatness of Christ in this world. And so um, fill us with your Holy Spirit, pour your spirit upon us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.